but a pen low key. Hated on by most these meat with no cheese, no deals and no G's, no wheels and no keys, no posts, no snowmobiles and no skis. Mad at me, cause I can finally afford to provide my family with groceries. Got a crib with a studio and a saw full of tracks. Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. I am 4 for 4 Senior DFS Editor Chris Raybon. Here, as always, with my partner in crime, Mr. TJ Hernandez. TJ, what's going on, bro? What's up, Chris? Just uh, building as many lineups as possible without actually entering them into contests, uh, what, three weeks before, two weeks before the season starts. So I've just been looking at FanDuel and DraftKings pricing and uh, playing with the lineup generator for the last two weeks pretty much now. no, No preseason DFS? No, I don't want to uh, start the season with a bad taste in my mouth, so I'll just let everybody uh, have fun with it and watch from afar. But I, I don't want to uh, start start the season in, in a hole, uh, which I which I probably will, knowing knowing my early season luck. So I'd rather just start week one fresh and uh, and and not have to do added research to what I'm already doing right, well, right so now. We won't we won't talk about preseason DFS on the pod, but for you guys that want some preseason action, some preseason picks, we are writing them up every day. For every slate on 444.com, if you have a 444 DFS subscription, you can go check those out. So we'll, that's the last we'll talk about preseason for this podcast. But let's get, let's talk about the song that played us in real quick. That was Forgot About Dre, Dr. Dre featuring Eminem off the Chronic 2001, which actually came out in 1999. And I just felt like choosing this song because... You know, I know we're a DFS NFL only podcast. We go on these little hiatuses in the off season, but we're back now, and that's just one of my favorite songs. I mean, that Eminem verse. I think the first time I heard it, I was in a barber shop or something, and I was just like, "Wait, what?" And I just had to go home and listen to it over and over again. You remember that song, TJ? Yeah, I was actually when I saw that you picked the song. I uh, I'm not one for hyperbole, but I think that Eminem verse might be my favorite verse of all time. If not, it's definitely up there. Uh, so that is added to the DFS MVP Spotify playlist. Uh, just search DFS MVP on Spotify or check my Twitter. I'm always tweeting it out. All of the songs that we've introed are on that playlist. So that's good. Good lineup bu- building music, as I like Absolutely. to say. Absolutely. Now let's also talk about. Our t-shirt winners, we promised to give you guys three separate winners, each a DFS MVP t-shirt. These are brand new, just arrived in the 4 for 4 store this season. We have two models, so you guys are going to get to choose your pick of those. And the winners for last week were, I'm going by your iTunes screen names here, 222 Hova, Tim Ryan's. And Steve Bonton VT. Again, that's 222 Hova, Tim Ryans, and Steve Bonton VT. You can email DFS MVP at 444.com to claim your t shirt. Just tell us your size, tell us, give us your address, tell us your size, and tell us which of the two DFS MVP shirts you want. Do you want the classic blue model or do you want the one modeled after the chronic? Let us know. And for this week, 
We love you guys, so we're giving away three more. Just go to iTunes, rate and review the podcast, and then retweet it on Twitter on from either my account, TJ's, or the 444 account, and you'll be entered to win. We pick the winners at random. So anybody that rates and reviews between now and when we host the pod next week, you will be entered a chance to win a free DFS MVP t-shirt. Please do go check it out. Rate and review us. Win your t-shirts. You're going to love them. If you haven't seen them already, you can check them out at the store. And let's... Oh, one thing I wanted to mention was uh, one of the reviews um, for one of the winners, actually. I was looking at it, and they said that... He said, I love that TJ and Chris don't straight up tout players, but instead discuss relevant stats and edges to be had. And I thought that was really important and something I was glad to hear because I think that's something that... As I've gotten more and more feedback, I think I've found that that's one of the things that people value the most. And for for the 444 DFS subscription this year, that's something that we're going to really focus on is in addition to giving all the picks and the, and the plays and things like that, just really discussing every player in depth and his upside and his downside and, and just giving you guys a lot more food for thought and analysis. And, you know, for the people that want to make, you know, their own decisions and really just, just give them a good viewpoint. So you guys are going to like some of the new content and the way we're formatting it this year for the 444 DFS subscription. If you want to subscribe, you can use the code SHMONEY, that's S-M-S-H-M-O-N-E-Y, sorry, S-H-M-O-N-E-Y for a 10% discount right now at 444.com. Let's see what else we got. That seems to be it. Let's talk about these quarterbacks and these tight ends this week. TJ will go over some week one pricing. We'll also talk some redraft ADP for those that are interested, I know a lot of you have your redraft uh, draft this weekend, so we'll get into both. And let's actually start there because I think talking about these redraft ADPs will shape some of the discussions for this week one pricing and this uh, the general week one outlook. So TJ, are you in favor of a late round QB strategy this season or are you taking some studs early? Yeah, I mean, assuming that we're playing in a um, a one quarterback league with uh, relatively normal uh, rosters, not like some sixteen team team or something or, or 20, uh, 20 person rosters, then I'm almost exclusively a late round quarterback. Uh, the the top guys, the the Brady's, the Rogers, the Breeze, they just generally go way too high for me to justify a pick on them just because you can replace quarterback points really easily even if you don't get a late round guy that you like just through uh streaming or or getting picking up quarterbacks off the waiver wire if you're not familiar with that term uh it's the matchups are so important for quarterbacks and they're relatively easy pr- to predict uh compared to other positions that I just wait as long as possible and and a 12-team league, especially in a 10-team league, I'm almost always uh, the last guy to to pick a quarterback in my league. And uh, sometimes I'll even turn it kind of into a game of chicken, keep waiting, almost like daring someone to uh, take a backup quarterback and just picking up value at other positions all the way through my draft. Well said. I think um, I'm right with you there. Here and there, I'll grab a Brady or a Rodgers. Um, the, the guys I'm really trying to avoid are the middle round guys, especially because I think Brady and Rodgers, they might have career years this year just because of the pieces they have around them and their schedule. But if if I can't get those guys, then I think pretty much everyone else is replaceable. So 
TJ, let's let's talk about some of these late round guys, and we'll we'll talk about them in, in redraft, and then their their week one salaries and their matchups. And I think one that's interesting is Tyrod Taylor because he lost his top receiver Sammy Watkins. He averaged eight point eight yards per attempt with Watkins in his career, only six point three yards per attempt without Sammy. But he is at home. He's got all the, the things we're looking for in a quarterback in DFS. He's cheap. He's at home. He's going against the Jets. Implied total of 24. But, I mean, it's tough. It's Do, do you trust Tyrod in this matchup? And then his his ADP right now, according to the 4 for 4 multi-site ADP tool, which takes the composite of a bunch of different sites, CBS, ESPN, MFL, NFL.com, Yahoo, the FFPC, and Draft. And Tyrod's the quarterback 18 right now. So, TJ, are you drafting him at that price? Are you playing him in week one in, in redraft as a streamer? And what are you doing with him in DFS? Yeah, as as far as uh, approaching Tyrod in redraft, he's just not a player that I'm, I'm going to have on my draft board very much um, and best ball I have quite a few shares of him but that's that's kind of a different animal uh in redraft i i want somebody that i think has the potential to turn into an every week starter uh in my draft and then if that doesn't work out i, I could stream the position pretty easily like like i talked about uh i would much rather have andy dalton because i've seen dalton be a, a top three or four fantasy receiver before and i think if the o-line is a little bit better uh that could be uh, the case this year Tyrod, even if he has a, a good week one, uh, I, I don't think he's going to be consistently great enough to be a guy that turns into that every week starter. So, um, if I, if I miss out on, on Dalton or another one of my favorite late round quarterbacks, then I'm fine, uh, sh- uh streaming Tyrod in the first week because the Jets are going to be, uh, they're, they're going to be a team you're going to target with every position probably all year just because they're going to be so bad that it doesn't matter if, if their defense is good. Teams are just going to be able to, uh, uh, really big build big leads because their offense is going to be atrocious. So I'm fine with that. As far as DFS goes, um, looking at, at pricing on FanDuel, I mean, Tyrod is priced right next to Derek Carr, only $200 uh, below. We'll probably get into that game a little bit, but that Titans um, and Raiders game is going to be a really popular one for DFS. So if, if I'm looking at cash games, I mean, Mariota is also only 100 more dollars than Carr, only 300 more dollars than Tyrod. It just there's just not going to be much reason to roster him. And then in tournaments, again, there's. I think there's just more offenses that are going to have way more upside. The one thing I can say about Tyrod is he does always offer a nice floor uh, because of his rushing. But uh, what what I am guessing is going to happen maybe after this Jets game is he'll have some some pretty below average games. We'll see his price drop and he'll be way more attractive uh, once prices start to separate a little bit and you can target that rushing floor and cash. Yeah, I think games. Tyrod is, I'll definitely look to play him in some tournaments just based on the, the weakness of that Jets D. I mean, we kind of know that all quarterbacks are more or less matchup dependent and even the probably the worst quarterbacks in the league tend to have solid and even good games in bad matchups. We know that quarterback production is correlated to a team's implied point total for the new listeners. All that is, is if you look at the betting odds, or as we like to call them, the Vegas lines, you take the 
over under and you look at and you take the spread and you just you just essentially subtract the spread from the over under um divide it by two and add the spread back to the to the favorite and you get that implied point total the bills at 24 pretty solid actually higher than andy dalton's bengals in week one uh they have a 23 implied point total right now so let's move on and talk about some other late round uh, QBs um, Sam Bradford TJ that's another one that not really on many people's redraft radar but week one I mean going against the New Orleans Saints implied total of 25.75 he is you know very uh affordable in DFS so what how are you how well he's gonna be affordable we don't know the price but we know he's gonna be affordable how are you treating uh Sam Bradford in week one is he a guy that you're playing in tournaments um and would you be willing to kind of pick him up and and try to ride that out and redraft yeah you, you mentioned his pricing isn't up and that's because the uh Saints and Vikings aren't on the main slate I believe that's the second Monday night game if I remember correctly uh but I mean historically and i mean recent history past two or three years and i don't think it's going to change this year targeting the saints defense with any passing game is a pretty lucrative uh investment Uh, i think people are going to be worried about bradford because uh they they don't think minnesota is going to throw much even against the saints or at least throw deep and i think it was actually you that was talking about this sam bradford uh, had a low a dot they weren't he wasn't asked to throw a lot uh, deep a lot last year but when he did he was pretty successful and i think that going into this season with uh stefan diggs i I guess you could say he did break out last year but i think he's really going to break out this year and then thielen didn't come on till really late having a full off season with those guys i think boost uh Bradford's value a lot. Um, again, kind of similar uh, strategy to uh, with Bradford to Tyrod. Not a guy that I'm really banking on to to pull in uh, every week starting numbers. So not necessarily someone I'm targeting in drafts. But if I do miss out on on a Dalton or a Carson Palmer in my draft uh, late, then he's probably at the top of my list for players I'm targeting in my draft with the plan of streaming week one. Yeah, definitely. I think it's going to be interesting for the short slates because you're going to have Drew Brees on the road you're going to have Philip Rivers on the road against the Broncos and you're going to have Trevor Simeon but he's at home against the Chargers and I have a lot of respect for that Chargers defense so you probably Sam Bradford's your best play in on that short slate and I don't know if he's necessarily going to even be the top on quarterback on that slate so that's something to keep in mind we'll see how it goes uh, closer to week one um, with that, yeah, I do want to say something about about short slates. That that's the one spot where you can get quarterbacks at really low ownership because what we usually see is a pretty uh, flat ownership slope in full slates. Uh, but they they get really out of whack in those four game slates. So it's the one time where you can get a quarterback that's like I don't know a fifth of everyone else's ownership. So I really like that call. Let's move on to a little higher up. This guy is not always going super late. It really depends on the the site and the way your individual drafters in your league are going to feel about him. But Derek Carr is the the quarterback eleven on Fanduel. He's a QB seven on DraftKings. He's seventy seven hundred on Fanduel, sixty seven hundred on DraftKings. Uh, TJ is Derek Carr a a top five? play in week one against the Titans and where are you with him amongst all these other QBs in redraft in terms of those guys you can kind of wait a little bit for 
Yeah, you mentioned a little bit earlier when we were talking about just our theory about drafting quarterbacks that you don't really want the, the middle tier, but like the early part of that middle tier. And I'm the same way. He's going as QB11 in multi-site ADP, uh, but I have seen him go like as early as the seventh or eighth round. Uh, the reason that I just generally don't take any of those guys, the only one I really like is Mariota because I think he could uh, finish really high. I think John Paul Snowsen ranked as the QB4 right now. Uh, but the the quarterback, the difference between the quarterback 6 and the quarterback 15 and 4-4 projections is 17 points over the entire season. So we're, we're talking about um, less than one point per game or just barely over one point per game over a 16-game season. So there's just you're just not getting much value by taking someone like Derek Carr instead of waiting on the guys we talked about the Andy Dalton's, the Tyrod Taylor's, Eli Manning, Philip Rivers. I would just oh just from a value standpoint, I'd rather wait two or three rounds and get those guys. Uh, in terms of DFS, uh, one thing that I look at especially for Week One because pricing's out for so long and we just don't know a lot about um, or there, there's some teams we just don't know a lot about. But looking at the discrepancy in pricing can really drive how you are, at least for cash games, how you're building your teams and, and where you're getting your exposure. Um, and Carr's price is the QB11 on FanDuel, but he's priced as a QB7 on DraftKings, so priced down a little bit on FanDuel. I mentioned earlier that game, that, that Tennessee-Oakland game, uh, I believe it has the highest over-under of the week. Yeah, 51 and a half as it stands right now, and it's a pick so that game's going to be really popular. So I'll probably uh, have, if if it works out correctly, I'll probably have Carr in some kind of value, Carr Mariota in some kind of value spot um, in cash games. As far as tournaments go, because that game is expected to be so high scoring, it's probably going to be the one of the games with the highest uh, ownership. Because of that, my exposure will be pretty low on those guys. I'm just looking at ownership a lot more in GPPs. And one thing that you can leverage if we're looking at Vegas lines and high scoring games early in the year, um, if you're going to go against the grain using Vegas lines, the best time to do it is early in the season and looking at the absolutely highest scoring games. Because what happens is generally we see um, a very, very strong correlation with uh, over, under, or implied point totals and uh, actual point scoring. Where that kind of diverges a little bit is early in the season with the very high scoring games. Um, games projected to score like in that 46, 45, 46 point range typically score about as much as those games that are projected to go 48 or over. Um, but again, I think that's just a function of Vegas not adjusting quickly. So a really good way to leverage that is to target games or teams in that second tier of uh, projected points. And that, that's always a good strategy. But uh, from a historical standpoint, over the last 10 years, that second tier scores as much as that first tier, at least in the first three or four weeks. Yeah, and I think you brought up a good point about ownership because if you guys read my uh, Daily Fantasy Playbook, the DFS Playbook 2017 strategy, how to pick a quarterback, which is up on 444.com right now, right down in the last section, I talk about the way to play quarterbacks in tournaments is you kind of just want to avoid that that top option. TJ mentioned it, but the the quarterback ownership is generally pretty flat. So unless you're rostering maybe like the most owned quarterback, you're probably fine. Uh, quarterbacks of all 
positions in the winning DraftKings Millionaire Maker Tournament over the last two seasons. Quarterbacks have had the lowest ownership, 7.7%. No other position has been under 10%. Now, some of that is due to the fact that you only have to start one. But a lot of that is also due to the fact that people just love to build stacks around all these different quarterbacks, and it actually flattens out the ownership a bit. And the same thing is true for the FanDuel Sunday Million Tournament over the past two years. 7.4% average ownership for quarterbacks is the lowest of any position. So I think you really want to just look at what is the projected ownership going to be of the top quarterback or the top two quarterbacks in week one. We'll have those ownership projections for DFS subscribers at 444.com um, leading up to week one. But for now, I think, you know, if unless, unless Carr or Mariota for that matter is probably the top one or two projected QB out, I'll probably have decent exposure to them because a lot of times you can just, you can, you can be above exposure that the field is, you know, so let's say the field is like 10% on a quarterback and you can go 15, 20 and, and still be fine because it's just so flat. But let's, let's keep going and let's talk about uh, Jameis Winston is another guy who he can go anywhere from that middle tier as high as maybe that QB five or so, but sometimes he goes outside the top 10 or the top 12 TJ, he is at Miami in week one. He's $6,600 on DraftKings in salary. Uh, what, what are you thinking about Winston? He's 7800 on FanDuel. So kind of, you know, in that, that, that lower middle tier. Um, good matchup against Miami. Do you want exposure or is this not the week for him? Yeah, I like as I mentioned, I've kind of been playing around with some lineups. Obviously, it's really early, so there, there's going to be a lot of adjustments there. Um, he's not a guy that I, I'm, I've generally found myself putting in a lot of lineups, at least so far. Uh, one thing that I'm a little worried about, you and John discussed this on the last uh, Most Accurate Podcast in the bonus episode, that the presence of Deshaun Jackson actually really improves uh, the running game of teams, and it, it makes sense if you think about it. He he keeps those safeties honest, like you talked about. And Dirk Cotter is a guy that really wants to use his running backs, and he loves Jaquiz Rogers. When Jaquiz Rogers was the starter last season, they they slanted towards the rush. Uh, so I think that might be something we see early in the year. Um, I, like I said. The one thing I do really like about Jameis is he's a perfect pivot off of Mariota and Carr. We just talked about that ownership. So that does intrigue me a little bit. So I think I'll have some ownership. Um, the game is on the road, and I think uh, Tampa Bay is an underdog. Am I correct? Nothing. I could pull that up right now. They are they are favored by two. The game opened with Miami as a two-point favorite, but I guess Tannehill was worth four points. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that that's an interesting spot. I, I think uh, probably you can you when the game's that close, they're on the road. You can go either way with it. Uh, like I said, my favorite thing about Winston is that he's that pretty much perfect pivot off those two really popular quarterbacks. Yeah, and I think again with this redraft ADP, same thing. You you don't want those kind of upper middle tier guys. The reason being is that only the studs, the elite guys, are going to give you every week production pretty much everyone else like even the Drew Breeses and the Ben Roethlisberger's and the Russell Wilson's tend to struggle a lot on the road so if you're not getting a guy that you can just set it and forget it you really don't want to take someone in the middle rounds the reason being is when you get to about the ninth or tenth round of your fantasy league in a 12 teamer it's a little it's a little later in the in a 10 teamer but in a 12 teamer about the ninth or tenth round is when the 
startable running backs and wide receivers, especially the startable running backs, tend to just drop off the board completely. So if you can get, you know, four running backs and four receivers or five running backs and five receivers through those first 10 rounds and you're waiting, you know, it's better to just take that extra value now that you've already waited um, than push it for some for, to reach for somebody in that upper middle tier that you don't really need that's not going to really be that much different so you give yourself more upside if you get some more depth at running back and wide receiver and then allow your late round quarterback to either greatly outperform his draft choice or you end up just streaming and you're still able to play quarterbacks in good matchups and you're going to make up some ground on people that reached and are playing these middle tier guys in poor matchups so yeah, I want to say one more thing on that. I mean, one of the biggest things that you need to be paying attention to in your redraft leagues that uh, gets talked about, but I still think it just doesn't get talked about enough. People like to talk about projections and where this player is likely to finish, but opportunity cost is such a big part of it. And you you basically mentioned that there's that drop off with uh, you know in the ninth or tenth round. If you go Jameis instead of one of those 10th or 11th round quarterbacks, you're passing on guys like Willie Sneed, Frank Gore, Deshaun Jackson. Um, Those are really, really valuable assets to your fantasy team, whereas Jameis is replaceable. So a really good point there, and I just wanted to reiterate it real quick. uh, Let's let's talk about some of the the higher-up guys on on the pricing tiers. We have Ben Roethlisberger coming in as the most expensive quarterback on DraftKings. We talked about this a little bit last week, 7,300. Cam Newton second at 7,100. So you have two quarterbacks there that are priced in the top two that are going outside the top eight in a lot of fantasy drafts. TJ, are you are you in or out on on Ben and, and Cam in Week One? They're both on the road. We know they both play a lot better at home. I love Cam in tournaments in Week One uh, for quite a few reasons. One. One thing I mentioned this with Carr, Cam has one of the bigger price discrepancies uh, in week one. He's a QB7 on FanDuel and QB2 on DraftKings. So he's a value on FanDuel, second on our FanDuel value report, but uh, that, that's fine for cash games. But what that's probably going to do if, if people are playing across sites is it might make him lower owned on, on DraftKings because he is priced up. Uh, I like him a lot in tournaments for a few reasons. One, he screwed a lot of people last year um, in redraft. He just wasn't the guy that he was in 2015. And that definitely carries over to people's perception, especially early in the season, not just in redraft, but in DFS. And DFS week one is when we see um, when we see ownership, when we uh, kind of reflect ADPs. It's when we see uh, a lot of more casual players, which means they're kind of going to be approaching it similar to the way they approach their redraft leagues. And then uh, stay on the fact that I like Cam on DraftKings as a tournament play because of the reasons I mentioned. When you add to the fact that he's sandwiched between Ben Roethlisberger and Aaron Rodgers, and then you go down a couple more, uh, a slight pricing tier, Russell Wilson in the same game as Aaron Rodgers, Mariota and Carr, who we already talked about, I think Cam is going to be the odd man out in, turn of, in terms of ownership because people are just going to look at him priced over Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and be like, no way, why would I do that? That makes me really, really want him in a spot where Carolina's probably going to blow the doors off of San Francisco because I think Carolina's going to kind of boomerang back, not as great as they were in 2015, but I'm expecting uh, some pretty uh, significant improvement from what we saw last year. I, I love Cam in tournaments, especially on draft Here's games. an interesting thought. We know... Uh, if you guys read my the definitive guide to stra- stacking, excuse me, on DraftKings, which is also up on four for four, 
you could see that one of the best players to stack with a quarterback is his running back. So outside of the the wide receiver one, his running back is actually the next most uh, play, uh, correlated player to stack. So one thing I think is interesting is we know that Jonathan Stewart, he's the goal back. He's going to be negatively correlated with Cam and with Christian McCaffrey, essentially. So if you're going to stack Cam with somebody, why not stack him with McCaffrey, especially on DraftKings, because we know that's what they're trying to do differently this year. They're trying to get the ball out of Cam's hands quickly into a player like McCaffrey's hands. So I think I like that Cam McCaffrey stack in week one. Get it while it's cheap, you know, in terms of McCaffrey anyway, because his price may continue to rise. A few more quarterbacks we got here. Matt Ryan is 6,900 on DK. He's 8,500 on FanDuel. Uh, TJ, Matt Ryan's probably going to be, I could see him even being the most popular quarterback just because of recency bias, Super Bowl, um, Bears don't seem like a very tough matchup. Is Matt Ryan a quarterback that you think deserves uh, one of the top three exposures on the week one slate? Uh, Atlanta's one of the teams that uh, I expect and most people expect to regress as much, probably more than any offense in the league. Just every stat efficiency number you look at, just unsustainable. Matt Ryan, uh, his touchdown rate was 3% over his uh, career average. Uh, the the Falcons scored on 35, uh, scored a touchdown on 35% of their drives, up from 21% in 2015, and that was the highest since Peyton Manning's uh, 2013 Broncos, which is argue, arguably the best offense in history. I don't think anybody would look at this Atlanta team and say they're one of the best offenses in history. They're favored by seven at Chicago. Um, I'm kind of worried about Atlanta in this game. It's the first week of the season. Chicago is really bad last year, but they are traveling uh, for week one. They're uh, uh, home teams just typically perform a little bit better. And Atlanta's defense, especially on the ground, was an absolute sieve last year. And that's the only spot where Chicago is really good. I, I think Jordan Howard can can run through this Atlanta defense and really throw the game script out of whack from what we're expecting. If there's one big line that I'm I'm avoiding, it's probably this one. Very interesting. Yeah, I don't I don't know where I am at this on, on this game yet. I don't I don't hate it, um, but I think that's a really good point. It could be one of those slower paced games. Um, I think the Matt Ryan Julio stack will be pretty highly owned, so that's probably going to keep my exposure in check regardless. And then. Let's go back down to the to the lower end of the pricing tiers where we know no one's really going to draft these guys, but we have Deshaun Kaiser probably going to be the week one starter. We know Pittsburgh can put up the points, uh, not as much on the road, but against the Browns, it usually hasn't been an issue. So he's uh, people are probably going to think about him at least. I don't know, um, TJ. Is there any do you do you want anything to do with with Deshaun Kaiser if he's playing in in week one with Kenny Britt, Corey Coleman, uh, or Duke Johnson, or any of those guys? Yeah, th- he is, uh, Deshaun Kaiser is the top value uh, on both FanDuel and DraftKings if you look at the 4-4 the four, four lineup generator. So I, I think people are going to be intrigued to play him, at least in cash games, just because uh, he is very cheap. But I think his range of outcomes is, is really wide with probably one of the lowest floors uh, of any quarterback of the entire week. I mean, he's a rookie quarterback. Uh, 
regardless of what you see in preseason, you really have to take that with a grain of salt. Not only are you playing against backups sometimes, but also a lot of teams just kind of throwing uh, vanilla defenses at them, more worried about getting a a look at uh, their players rather than scheming to win the game. He's going to be an awful game script. I think Pittsburgh is going to smoke Cleveland. Uh, they are the biggest favorites of the week, that, them being Pittsburgh. And uh, if, if I want anybody, we've talked about this before, you don't want a quarterback in, in a negative game script. You want a wide receiver. So if there's anybody I'm really looking at on this Browns team, it's probably Kenny Britt because he'll get uh, a lot of late game work. But I, I think uh, things could get really ugly for Kaiser against Pittsburgh, who, if I remember correctly, kind of picked it up in terms of pass defense down the stretch last year. Yeah, definitely. I think if you're looking at any quarterback down in that range, um, I think well, we know I'm looking at uh, Jared Goff for the Rams, you know, at home against the Colts. They might be starting Scott Tolzien or they're giving Stephen Morris reps this week. We don't think Andrew Luck's going to play. So that might be some positive game script for them. Um, let's go on to the tight end position. But before we do fantasy football fans, listen up. If you love fantasy football, then you need to try these new best ball leagues. I know you play them, TJ, um, on my new favorite app, which is called Draft. It's a season-long league, and just like you play with your friends, but no management. You just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. Draft takes care of the hard work. You don't even have to set your lineup. Your best score gets automatically selected every week, and you can draft a team anytime you want. Leagues start every couple of minutes, so you can join one right now. And the best part, there are no salary caps, and you can play for cold, hard cash. Leagues start from just $3, so there's a league for everyone. And it's so easy to start playing draft today. Just go to playdraft.com dot com slash four for four that's playdraft.com the number four the letters f-o-r and the number four and you can join a game in minutes all new players get a free entry into a best ball draft when you make your first deposit but you have to use my promo code that's four for four that's right play a real game for real money for free just for using my promo code the number four the letters f-o-r and the number four Let's get into these tight ends now. And TJ, we know at quarterback, it's, it's that late round quarterback strategy. And the reason we do it is because you only have to start one in most leagues. Now, there's some two QB leagues. Um, and for those, you guys should definitely hit up uh, 2QB FFB uh, Sal Stefano. Um, great resource for that. But if you're, if, you're, if you're drafting a tight end, TJ, you also have to start one in most leagues. Are you doing the same are you using the same strategy or are you targeting studs are you going for those middle tier guys what's it like in 2017 yeah i'm similar to uh my quarterback strategy with tight ends i like to wait and stream uh if possible but streaming isn't as easy as it is at the quarterback position uh it's just tighter tight ends are so driven by by touchdowns that they're just a little bit harder to predict usually what i do is i i target one or two guys that uh i i really like not super late uh, but kind of like in the late ish part of that middle tier and again i'm looking for somebody that i can uh hopefully plug in uh week after week as a starter for the most part, unless they fall um, after their normal ADP, which is very rare, uh, I'll, I'll take some of those higher-priced guys in redraft. But 
I generally try to avoid it, um, especially this year. I mean, I, I think Kelsey's big splits without uh, Macklin last year is kind of uh, a lightning in the bottle. I don't know if that's sustainable in that offense, and Kelsey's just never really been a huge touchdown scorer. Um, Jordan Reed and Gronk both have had trouble staying on the field. Olsen's the one consistent guy that sometimes I'll see him fall to like the fifth round, and, and I'll like, but uh, usually I'm trying to wait for like that Eric Ebron, Martellus Bennett, uh, Jack Doyle tier yeah i think i think tight end is interesting this year I, i'm definitely more willing to spend an early pick on tight end than on quarterback because there can be more of a drop off um i think gronk is interesting because he usually goes at the turn but you're getting that injury discount he has been healthy all off season as john paulson pointed out um that hasn't happened in a while so i think he's interesting kelsey i'm with you i think he's being a little overdrafted i think people are expecting him to just continue those uh without macklin splits but at the end of the day he's in a very kind of low upside offense with a low upside quarterback so i think that can cap him a bit i like jordan reed a lot um the injuries are concerning i think the one good thing about reed is you can basically handcuff him with vernon davis jordan reed has scored 20 percent more fantasy points per snap than travis kelsey so if i'm in that range and i'm want to grab one of them i usually go reed um over kelsey there and yeah greg olsen uh, d- not really doing too much for me in standard leagues i do like tyler eifert 18 tds in his past 21 games he might uh, be deserving of a of a mid-round pick but let's talk about um some of these these cheaper tight ends in in DFS. We have Zach Ertz on DraftKings. He's 3,500. We have the Washington Redskins projected to be the number 29 team against the tight end position in terms of schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. So I guess this pricing came out for DraftKings before Jordan Matthews was traded um, he is 5,900 on FanDuel, so a lot higher there. TJ, is that kind of the chalk play that you just have to play in cash games in week one on DraftKings? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Ertz's price is a tight end six on FanDuel, but the tight end 10 on DraftKings. So you're getting uh, a little bit of a discount across sites there. And then uh, you mentioned against Washington, who we have ranked as the uh, – the 29th uh, team in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight end positions. Uh, it tight end generally uh, the, the matchup isn't super important uh, on Fanduel because it's so driven by touchdowns that you're really just more looking for that touchdown upside. On DraftKings, where they award a full point for peop, uh, for a reception and also have a 100-yard bonus, uh, that matchup's a little bit more important because if you can get uh, decent production throughout the course of a game against a team that struggles against tight end, you can really benefit from uh, those receptions and from that bonus. So, I mean, he's the, the top value on uh, DraftKings if you look at our value reports. I I can't I don't see anyone else that I would even really consider in cash game. It, if there's one position that you want to pay down for in DFS, it is tight end. So that looks like a pretty easy call for cash games uh, on DraftKings. Right, and one of my favorite articles you do is the DFS big game profiles, and it's on four for four right now. The tight end one, you look at essentially, you know, all right, you find the thresholds for the what what you consider a big game a top four tight end and that's been 24.6 DraftKings points um and 19.8 Fanduel points so I'm looking at the DraftKings one here and 
seven plus receptions they needed to, to hit that 24.6 uh, 72 percent of the time uh they needed 100 yards to get there 69 percent of the time so i mean zach Ertz, how high would his ownership have to be in tournaments for you to fade him in tournaments because he seems also like one of the the, the best bets to give you that those 25 points that you need at the tight end slot probably um to to win a tournament and we've seen him do this before put up you know huge reception numbers and, and huge yardage totals uh i def- i don't think i'll be fading him at all um but tight end is so volatile that I, I think there is a lot to be said for uh fading the absolute top player at least being a, a little bit lower than the field if if you say he ends up being like 30% owned or we project him for 30% ownership, I might just have him as, as 20%. But, uh, I, so I'd, I'd probably never fade a top tight end play like I might a quarterback, but I, I just might go a little lower. And another reason that I end up doing that is because the tight end position is so volatile, uh, that I, I'm just never really going all in like I will with a with a running with other positions, all the other positions, running back, quarterback, um, and wide receiver. My personal ownership is just generally going to be a little bit flatter at tight end to account for that volatility. Yeah, and the the one thing I the one case you could make um, for fading, and I think this is more, it probably just goes in with Fanduel anyway, but. Tight ends, I found, and I'll, and I'll publish this article. This is going to be in the the DFS playbook to 2017 tight end article. But tight ends really skew their production towards being at home, and it's kind of something that I think goes a little overlooked because um, you, you think of home teams, you think more of you know the kicker and the defense and things like that, but I found, and and not just being at home, but also being a favorite, which goes hand in hand, but I actually found that, you know, for tight ends uh, over the last few years that played in at least eight games and had, you know, multiple games at home and and, and away and as favorites and and all that, you know, they, tight, 70% of them average more touchdowns per game at home, uh, and 63% of them average, uh, average more uh, no, 60% of them, sorry, average more touchdowns per game as a favorite. And then even if you look at the per target numbers, um, it comes out to 63, 64% for each two. So tight ends just really doing a lot more at home, especially in terms of their touchdown production. I think we talked about this a little bit last year, TJ, but my theory was that tight end touchdowns are kind of similar to running back touchdowns in a way where when you're that favorite, you're you're able to usually drive down the field more and you're getting closer and getting more ch- shots at the end zone. Um, and that's the kind of what you see with running backs. They score about uh, a touchdown per game as a favorite. Teams do uh, touchdown per game rushing as a favorite, only about uh, 0.75 touchdowns per game uh, as underdogs collectively league-wide. So I think you're just kind of seeing the same thing with tight ends. Tight ends aren't really scoring any type of long touchdowns, which are going to be subject to a lot of volatility. That's more for wide receivers. So that's something to keep in mind there. Let's talk about some of these other tight ends on a slate. We have Julius Thomas. He's 2,900 on DraftKings. He's coming up as a pretty interesting value on, on, on DraftKings. Jay Cutler at the QB. We know that the Dolphins do want to get Thomas involved as a red zone guy. You mentioned the touchdowns. You know, he's 5,100 on FanDuel, so also pretty affordable there. And he's at home. Is that some, is Julius Thomas somebody you're looking at, TJ, or is, are you waiting to kind of see what's going to happen with this Miami offense? Uh, he does show up as the uh, number.
number two on our DraftKings value report. There's uh, there's a lot going on, Miami, that's kind of just uh, – it, it doesn't look like it could be a coincidence, and there's, there's not a lot of stats to back up how this is going to work, but you just kind of think about what's going on. You got Adam Gase there with Jay Cutler. Uh, he coached Jay Cutler in Chicago, and, and Cutler really zeroed in on, on Martellus Bennett and his big wide receivers, whether it's Alshon or uh, Brandon Marshall. And then we have Gase, who had, had uh, I believe Gase had Thomas in, in Denver, where Thomas was really dom- dominant. Obviously, that was with Peyton Manning. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised to see kind of something similar that, that we saw uh, with Gase and Cutler in Chicago, where... Um, we see Cutler really looking at Thomas and really looking at Parker. So if if I am looking for, it's not a perfect pivot. He's six hundred dollars cheaper on DraftKings, but um, it, it is kind of a cheap tight end that you could plug in instead of Zach Ertz. I could see myself sprinkling him in. I mean, I'm I'm probably on this passing game a little bit more than people. I, I, Jai's season last year was really weighted by his big three games. He down the stretch he had some some pretty big duds too so uh i don't know if they're going to be as run heavy as people think i I mean i think i actually think they'll be very run heavy um i in my three tendencies article uh, um i found that every time gates goes to a new team he essentially just makes them run and slows them down and just they they just really go run heavy so i think they will go run heavy but that wouldn't stop me necessarily from using thomas at that price um because as you mentioned all he needs is a uh, red zone touchdown what about Jason Witten he's another guy we're gonna have no Zeke Elliott most likely uh, Cowboys are at home going against the Giants we know the Giants as good as their defense was last year still str- struggled against the tight end position he's Witten's 3,900 on Fandle he's 5,400 on drafting so affordable is he too old to play is he is is he a is he a granddad runner now should we not be playing him or is he still is he still viable in week one? Yeah, Witten is a player that's going to have a target share that looks impressive, but he's just going to catch the ball and kind of fall because he's slow and old, like you said. Um, I I I think that uh, there's a chance that Dallas struggles against this New York defense. They are bad against tight ends, but you you really need um, that touchdown upside, like like we mentioned, especially on FanDuel. Uh, I, I don't know if he is going to have it. He's just not a big touchdown scorer at this point, and uh, I I don't. I'm not going to put him in cash game on DraftKings because we already talked about uh, how much we like Ertz and he's more expensive than Ertz. So that that's kind of going against uh, how you build around value in in cash games. Just not a guy that is that really does a lot for me in any format right now. I know you have the red zone expected value metric that you created and the touchdown regression candidates, both positive and negative. Um, where did Witten fall in that? Do you remember? Is he? I would think he wouldn't. Wouldn't he be kind of a positive touchdown regression candidate? Or yeah, uh, he had quite a few um, red zone targets, but a lot of them were not close to the goal line. So his overall expectation actually wasn't as far off as you might expect. So when you look at his red zone numbers, he did get a fair amount of red zone targets. But again, red zone expected value calculates 
uh, your actual expectation based on on where uh, those plays started. So, I mean, that's exactly why I do that study. I mean, I point out the guys that are expected to regress, but um, not all red zone opportunities are created equally. And for some reason in fantasy football, we just always reference that number like they're all the same. And uh, that's a perfect example right there. Very interesting. Good stuff. Let's talk about who else we have here that's going to be interesting in week one. Um, let's talk about Austin Hooper. He's only 3K on DraftKings, and he is, uh, where is he? 4,700 on Fandle. So he's almost at the minimum on both sites, but he is on the road. But we also have the Falcons with this high total. So is there any, do you want any Austin Hooper in week one? And how are you feeling about him as a, Wait on tight end candidate in redraft. Yeah, I I talked about this um, a little bit in an article that I just wrote uh, for Sports Illustrated, and you talked about this in your three key tendencies. I think that uh, Steve Sarkeesian wants to go to Julio Jones in the red zone, and I think that's that. I think that's definitely going to happen. I, I think they're serious when they say that. I think they recognize uh, that they didn't target him much in the red zone last year. So. I, I think this offense is going to go way back to that 2015 where we saw Julio just getting all of the work. He saw 22 red zone targets that, that year and saw like 31% target share. Um, and I don't, I haven't necessarily seen anything that gets me too excited about Hooper. I already talked about that. I think this could be the one game that kind of goes off the rails. Uh, so if there is anybody that I do like on this offense, it's just Julio right now. What about? Charles Clay. We talked about, you know, guys being at home and and, and Tyrod, you know, we don't really know what to expect, but Tyrod, uh, Charles Clay at home looked pretty nimble in in the last preseason game. I mean, last time I heard from Charles Clay, he was just having knee problems all the time, but I mean, he looked pretty spry. Um, uh, Tyrod Taylor seemed to be looking at him more than anybody. Now, I know Jordan Matthews probably is going to be back for week one. We do have the Jets as the number 22 team. Against the tight end position, Clay 4,600 on FanDuel, and he's about, what is he, 3,200 on DraftKings. Is that kind of a guy that, that you would be willing to play in a tournament, or is, do you think his touchdown expectation is still too low? No, I, I actually like Clay. Uh, I mean, tight end, you don't need two or three touchdowns. You can you can win a tournament with your tight end scoring just one touchdown, and I think that opportunity will be there um, against the Jets. I know I said I wasn't super excited about Tyrod, but uh, I, I just don't think that he's going to have that huge of a game compared to some of the other quarterbacks on the week one slate. Uh, but, but Clay, I mean, with one score, he could jump uh, a lot of tight ends, and he is priced as a tight end 25 on FanDuel, uh, the tight end 12 on DraftKings. So he's cheap on DraftKings, but he's not relatively priced down like he is on FanDuel. So especially on FanDuel where he's real priced almost at the minimum, I really like him. I, I mean, I said earlier that I, I like to go with the uh, – I, I like to use that metric – comparing prices across sites to uh, find value for cash games and then kind of pivoting the other way for GPPs. But I think in this case, Clay's just going to be so off the radar that you can take uh, that value that FanDuel is offering, throw him in GPPs because he's going to be super low owned anyway. Everyone's been looking at, at what's going on with receivers in Buffalo and kind of forgetting that Clay's sitting there. Uh, Anquan Bolden retired, so Clay could be the default uh, red zone option that they were expecting and Quan to be, I, I kind of like him a lot 
cheap on FanDuel and almost a perfect pivot off of Ertz on DraftKings. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Um, let's talk about some of the higher-priced guys before we get out of here. We have Martellus Bennett. He's going to be 5700 on FanDuel, but he's only 4100 on DraftKings. That's still kind of expensive for a tight end. It's their TE6 on the slate. He's at home. He's got Aaron Rodgers throwing to him. He's going against Seattle. We know Seattle sometimes has problems defending that, that middle of the field with their zone. Is Martellus Bennett a guy that you would be looking at, or do you think a guy like Delaney Walker, who's 200 more, on on DraftKings and 400 more on FanDuel, um, you think you have to go with, with a guy like that instead? I've been thinking about this a lot because this is going to be a game that's going to be really high owned, but I think you're you're still going to want a, a part of it. I believe the over under in this game is uh, 49 and a half, and the, the spread's only three. So I think we could see some fireworks in this game, and there is going to be a way to targeted i think without having some of the higher owned players i think what's going to happen is like you said seattle has traditionally struggled uh over the the middle of the field we've seen tight ends do well against them on multiple occasions we talked about this a little bit last week the way i might end up attacking this is going after randall cobb instead of martellus bennett uh, cause I, I do think that people are going to be excited about Bennett in his first week in Green Bay. We mentioned that in week one, people, there, there tends to be more of a slant towards what's happening in redraft because there are so many new players, uh, the first week of the season. So I think a lot of people are excited about Bennett in Green Bay and I, that could be reflected in ownership because he isn't that expensive. And I might just end up going with more Cobb than Bennett there. Yeah. I mean, Cobb is just one of my favorite picks redraft whatever um this year i think he's being slept on just for the touchdown upside he has in that offense um and then we have guys like we have eric ebron sitting here kind of in this middle tier 5500 on FanDuel and 3600 on DraftKings. assuming he's healthy for week one you know we have the cardinals actually as the, the top ranked defense against the tight end position but Detroit is at home. We saw what Anquan Bolden did kind of that over-the-middle-of-the-field guy. Um, we know Ebron's a touchdown regression candidate. He only had one touchdown catch on 61 uh, receptions last year, in large part due to Anquan Bolden's presence. Is Eric Ebron somebody that, given the price, he's not really too expensive that, that you're looking at? He's at home? Or, or are you taking that, you're kind of taking that matchup with the Cardinals seriously and, and looking in another direction? Yeah, I'm... If any game that I've been looking at so far, this is one I've really been struggling with. Uh, we have Amir Abdullah and Matthew Stafford ranked really high in our value reports. Uh, but I, I'm having trouble figuring out how this game is going to play out. Uh, if anybody, uh, if there's anyone that I'm really worried about, it is Ebron because of the matchup you mentioned. Um, especially on DraftKings, matchups are a little more important for tight end. Uh, uh, Detroit probably is going to have a chance to, to score some points. I think this is going to be one of those sneaky shootout games this week, uh, or in week one, I'm sorry. Uh, but Ebron probably isn't the way I'm going uh, to attack it in any format, really. There's, uh, I mean, we mentioned Bennett earlier. He is a perfect um, pivot off of Bennett on, on Fandle if he ends up being high-owned. And he's also a perfect pivot off of Ertz on, on DraftKings. 
I could see a situation where I, I sprinkle him in a little bit, but I don't think he'll be anchoring any of my my GPP yeah. ownership. I think yeah, it's it's I got to see what's going on with uh, with his health and something like that. You know, if he's if he hasn't practiced until you know between now and and week one, I don't usually like to target players like that. Period. So we'll see what happens um, with with Ebron, and then at the top we have we have Jordan Reed and and Greg Olson and. We know that Jordan Reed is struggling with the foot injury. Uh, Dr. Gene Bramble brought up some great points about, you know, it, this could be an issue all season long with Reed. Um, at the same time, when he's been on the field, he seems to always be banged up. But when he's been on the field, he's been pretty impressive. So is this something where, let's say Jordan Reed's ownership is projects to be, I don't know, under under 5%. Is this a contrarian play? That you're looking to, to to kind of to kind of gain some differentiation, not only in you know what, what what you're doing at tight end, but just in your whole lineup because you'd have to pay up so much for Jordan Reed. He's 7100 on Fanduel. That like would you, would would that be something you're you're thinking about for for Reed, or is that just something where you want to look in another direction because of the because of the the health status? No, Reed is is such a good player that if he's healthy, he's always going to be in consideration. And um, I, I really like the the concept of not just having low ownership, but changing up everything about your lineup because of a high priced uh, tight end or or just going to a different price tier at any position really. I think a lot of people are going to be on Greg Olson um, just because he's in a really good matchup against San Francisco, and I just like I I like Greg Olson too. I just like that game a lot. But the one I like Jordan Reed a lot on Fanduel because he's fifty five hundred. I'm sorry, um, five hundred more than Olson, where he's actually three hundred less than Olson on DraftKings. So not only do I think people are going to like. Do I think people like Olsen more uh, going into week one where he's $500 more expensive? That's probably going to drive his ownership down even further on FanDuel. And what we want on FanDuel is that touchdown upside. So even though Philadelphia is pretty good against tight ends, um, touchdown upside on FanDuel is king. You don't really need that consistent volume or a lot of catches. And again, Jordan Reed's just that talented player that if he's on the field, he could blow up against anybody. I really, really like Reed in, in FanDuel tournaments. Yeah, and I think even on DraftKings, I mean, you talked about it, the differentiation Yes, Reed, uh, Reed is 300 less than Olsen. He's 5,900. Olsen 6,200. But the next highest price tight end is Jimmy Graham at 51 and then Tyra Eifert at 46. So you're still pretty much getting a lot of lineup differentiation um, just by using one of those two top tight ends either way. And I, like you said, I do think Olsen will be that guy. Now, we have Tyra Eifert at home. We know how well he scores touchdowns. He's 4,600 on DK and 6,100 on FanDuel. So that's somebody else to keep in mind as well. So that about wraps it up for us on the DFS MVP podcast presented by 444 Football. Remember that we are giving away three more DFS MVP t-shirts. So be sure to go to iTunes, rate and review the DFS MVP podcast, and then retweet the podcast on either my account, TJ's account, or the 4 for 4 account and be entered to win. We'll announce the three winners next week. And remember, you can check out 
the all the articles we've mentioned, I will put them in the show notes. You can go to 444.com and you can see the links to all those articles. And if you haven't already signed up for the 444 DFS subscription, please sign up, man. You guys are going to like it this year. Uh, you can use discount code SHMONEY for 10% off. That's S-H-M-O-N-E-Y. So be sure to check that out. TJ, any final words? Don't forget to get this money. Let's get this money, people.